Hi, this is Stan Stoniker here in Emerald City, and we're really happy today to be joined by Louise Malbray from Malbray by Design. This is a great person in a great company focused on conscious leadership, looking at how companies and individuals can move the needle uh, for their business from all sorts of areas, ranging from conscious leadership to personal development to even mental health. Welcome, Louise. Thank you, Stan. It's, um, it's wonderful to be here. This is our, our uh, second conversation in as many days, uh, because I know that we just were, were a part of your Lift series, which is uh, Lead into the Future, uh, a great conversation series that looks at how people are adapting to change um, in this very turbulent time that we're in. Uh, and it was such a great conversation. I think we wanted to come back for a kind of a reversal this week uh, for our podcast out of Emerald City for the Chronicles and uh, to really learn a little bit more about the work that you're doing with CEOs and, and leaders. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that work? Yeah, sure, Stan. I, I started um, Mowbray by Design in London about 15 years ago. In fact, this May will be 15 years young. Uh, which always amazes me. So, um, and over these years, you know, the business has changed. I've changed um, as time has gone by, simply to work with what, what is coming in terms of futures. And today I um, do three things, really. I coach and mentor C-suite top-end leaders and um, entrepreneurs, and I work with a lot with their teams. We've seen a huge shift from five years ago when the coaching and mentoring really was purely focused, the majority was very much, very much focused on, on top-end leaders. And we've kind of moved from the, the I to the we to the us kind of formula. And um, I also speak professionally, so keynotes and workshops and lots of that type of stuff. And I do a lot of people strategies. So working with leaders and teams to bridge strategy and how to um, really identify and use this amazing pool of talent that we often have in our organizations, uh, often starting with just identifying where it is. So um, assisting the, both the leadership team and you know, the, the people development side of things. And as so, an ex-headhunter, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting how um, I often feel that sort of previous things that certainly things that I've done seem to come into play um, constantly. So that ex-headhunter hat on it, it really helps, um, helps with the strategy side of things. Um, so given all that background, can you give us a little bit of insight into how you see the C-suite and that whole we to us uh, movement changing the, the, the nature of work? So as ever, I mean, we're in such an extraordinary time right now, Stan, and um, I think we're, we, we're all on the same page when we really understand that our world of work, our world, our, you know, life will, will not be the same again. It'll be altered in, in a myriad of ways. You know, we just don't necessarily know what that looks like right now. So the big thing here for me is that you know, for leaders who were holding on to the old, who haven't really shifted from, a, you know, that old sort of thinking of needing to know all the answers, um, the greatest shift right now is to become thought partners 
with all of the people in our business. So, you know, really moving into that concept of the collective and team. And certainly this, this movement towards um, developing the collective, the team, and, and multiple teams sometimes in businesses has been going on for the last year or two. That shift has been happening. And it, right now it's just been accelerated because not one of us has the answers. Uh, we can't have the answers. You know, the answers are not apparent yet. We have some ideas about where things might go and how we might prepare um, and, and shift the needle, but we just don't know. So this real need to be flexible, to be agile, to be mutable, and um, to really dig into the power of listening um, to what's going on. The most extraordinary thing is when we start to look at our teams, and this is sort of harping back to headhunting days again, you know, when we hire people, often it's to fulfill a job description and, you know, come and do this job, but don't step out of the box. And I think the shift there is that, wow, we have this inherent, we have an inherent wealth of skills and expertise and thinking and mindsets in this organization, but where is everybody? Where, where is the kind of thinking that we need today? And for me, that whole sort of collective shift, which is something I've been working with a lot over the last year that has really accelerated, is really centered around building cultures of innovation, weaving innovation into the very fabric of our organizations. I mean, everybody talks about innovation, but it's been an almost an external, digitized sort of strategy, um, which we use to move things forward or to shift products or services in a way that's more accessible or streamlined or more cost effective or whatever it's been leading up until now. And I think that sort of the virtualization, as you were talking about the other day, I've stolen some of your words, they're wonderful. <laughs> um, the, the virtualization of everything means that we really need to weave it into the very fabric of our organizations. Everything we do needs to be connected with that openness of thinking and um, the ability to actually try stuff um, constantly, try new stuff, come up with ideas and try new stuff as we go along. So if you're, if you're a boss in an organization and you're looking at the amount of things you need to get done with your team, like any efficient organization is probably going to say like, hey, my team is all very busy doing the roles that they're already doing. And now in a way having to work even harder just to tread water because it's become you know, exponentially more difficult in just the last two months. So what do you say to a leader who says, okay, I don't actually have time to give my team space to go and experiment because we don't have the we don't have the bandwidth and the capacity. I need my team executing all the time on what they're they're already told to be doing, so to speak. Um, yeah. So I, I, if I hear another person talking about how much more productive they've you know we're thirty percent more productive, yay! I think I'll <laughs> I don't know what I'll do, but you know, along with that rise in productivity and that real sort of focus, you know, it's almost like we've gone back to the industrial age, literally. You know, we're all celebrating productivity. And um, unfortunately, with that rise in productivity and the pressure that goes with it, we we're seeing almost we're it's being predicted that we're gonna have a 50% drop in mental health around all sorts of areas. Stan, I actually have a deck that I'd love to share with you because some of these points run mental health. Um, I can talk you through some, some interesting 
um, interesting facts and figures so that we can let's dive into that. Yeah. yeah. So let me do that. I'm going to share my screen with you now. You know, I do think that this idea of conscious leadership is really important, um, but it sort of runs into the practicalities of running a business for a lot of CEOs or a lot of business leaders, especially if um, the business itself is not so much in what you might think of as the thought category. So I think getting over that hurdle can be really important for getting to this culture of innovation that you're talking about. Yeah, and you know, Stan, as human beings, because we've got to start um, right there, you know, the, the human side of things. And, you know, we as leaders are first and foremost human beings. We have an inner world and we have an outer world. And conscious leadership really says, know thyself and then get thyself the hell out of the way. You know, that's, that's really what it's all about. So if we are nurturing and spending time um, constantly um, finding that balance in our inner world, it doesn't really matter what happens on the outside. We're going to cope with that. We're going to be able to, to, to work our way through that and find better, smarter ways of doing stuff. And if we're connecting from a human perspective, we're likely to get so much more out of other people who are also under extreme stress and pressure. I think where I'd like to start with this, because you know, it, there's a deep acknowledgement for where we are today. And one of the things that, so I've trained in futures and I love using a lot of their models and tools and the insights that comes out of, um, comes out of the, the futures side of things. Um, to really give us a sense of the need to actually work um, not necessarily from hindsight to create the foresight. And I think today, every time I sit down with a client, um, a team of, of, of people right now, um, every time we look at it, you know, we start working through multiple potential futures, uh, every single one of those data points along route is deeply flawed because hindsight just doesn't really work for where we're going. We, there are so many unknowns. So, so there's a real need to actually shift. And, and for a lot of people, that's, that's really unsettling. But let, let's just go through wh where we are right now. And phase one, which we've, we're all, you know, some of us are still in the middle of, is reveal and react. So crisis management. And, but what came with that is our myths and truths um, are falling away. And the vulnerabilities in all of our operating systems are actually being revealed to us. So, you know, this thing of going from hindsight to foresight, well, if what we're basing the future on was deeply flawed anyway, there's a, there's a deep need to actually look at those systems right now. And we don't have, as you say, time is, you know, time is an issue. Um, but if we're too fast with this, um, we're going to be basing our futures on something that was flawed in the first place. So, you know, that, all of that is coming to light and it will continue to come to light as we move forward. Phase two, reassess, reevaluate, reset. And there are a lot of big sort of life questions that we've been asking ourselves. What does it all mean? How did we get here? Who or what is responsible? Why did this happen? And I think that, you know, one almost not doesn't, we don't need to put that into a phase. It's gonna, that, that's going to be continuous for quite some time. And then phase three, reinvention. What can we do from today to prepare for or prevent this from happening again? And from everything that we're actually hearing, it's very likely that future pandemics may happen. Um, we just don't know. And then, you know, just really looking at that second question, all the whys, you know, why on earth is, this, why did this happen? How did we get here? Um, I think if we look at what's been going on, climate change, population growth, global mobility, the fact that we're all interconnected, 
and connected. We had the, the perfect ingredients for the perfect storm, the perfect recipe for the perfect storm. We knew that things had to shift and change. We've all known that for some time, and there are many of us working across a whole bunch of different platforms to engineer that change, including what you're doing with Emerald City and Hub Culture. Um, so, so, so this shift, this change has been going on for some time, almost in a parallel stream to those who haven't been shifting and changing, which is kind of interesting in itself. But what's added to that is that almost all of our rewards and incentive systems across learning, education, health, business, economics, society, and the environment have been incredibly short term. So we haven't, all of our systems are built on short term rewards. And then of course the reinvention, what kind of future do we want to live in? And these are questions we're busy asking ourselves right now. How can we all get involved to, build, to actually build the future? Which part of normal do we want to keep? What kind of new normal do we want to create? And what's our capacity to start doing that today? And for me, that's the most important question for leaders today and leaders at all levels. So the, you know, the old hierarchies, um, I think, are proving themselves to be pretty limiting right now. So what can we do today that will serve us going forward? And you can think that from a, from a big global perspective. You can think of this from a, your company, your team, your stakeholders and all of their systems. Um, it, it doesn't really matter where you approach this, but this is the question we need to be asking right now. So the first thing, of course, is build personal team and organizational capabilities around resilience. And I want to talk about resilience because a lot of people don't really know what that means. Um, certainly in the old context, it's, it's slightly different in terms of what we need today. Agility, creativity, or being in creation, as, as you so rightly put it the other day, and innovation. Um, and with that, we really need to build in, building, creating incentives and rewards for longer term thinking and action. Because the short term thinking and the short term incentives, the instant gratification almost led us here. So do we want to keep repeating that? And Can you then, give us course, an example of a longer-term incentive or reward? Well, it's when we look at any of our systems, I think we've, we've always got to come at things from systems thinking. And that's really the basis of conscious business, conscious capitalism, conscious leadership is thinking in terms of systems. And then, of course, using design thinking to, to get in and create that. So if we think about where short-term, so, so just education, let's just start right at the beginning. You know, we go to school, uh, we're told to cram a whole lot of information into our heads in a certain period of time. And then we need to get through, you know, jump through a bunch of hoops. We get a mark and we move on. And the question is, have we, have we really gained knowledge or have we passed through a series of tests? And, you know, I was listening to somebody the other day who was talking about um, Fauci, the, the chief medical officer. Um, for the US, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, and how he was always just a little bit different. You know, when he went to medical school, he did the minimum he needed to actually get into medical school, but then, and then he studied humanities, whereas most people took, um, you know, the absolute minimum of humanities in order to, to become doctors. So his whole approach was much more systems and and broader thinking and you know arguably that's serving him better today so that that thinking that's built into our systems right from education through to how we actually pay people is really short term you know hit the sales target um you know earn this amount immediately and you go on to do it again and again so 
we're not we're building individual um, wins, but we're not building anything collective. And I think today we're realizing that we're not going to get out of this alone. Um, I think for the very first time, many people are realizing how interconnected and connected we are. And that, you know, that this is truly a global problem. And every time I think of me and mine and my family and my community and my business um, and my clients, um, it gets really tiny and, and really it's, it's difficult to, to solve. But when we start thinking in terms of collective and the power of actually um, moving forward in that way, it, it changes the game. And that does need longer term incentives. So we don't, I don't know. I don't have the answers for this. I think we're going to have to create it as we, as we go along. Certainly in my working lifetime, I've never worked for a company or a client where it's anything other than we need short-term instant results. And, um, and certainly the incentives in terms of financial incentives or rewards or looking good are only as good as your last win. <laughs> well, yeah, so and that's about survival for most companies. And I think right now a lot of companies are looking at survival. And you know this idea of a longer term, you know, it's always easier to sell short um, something down the road for gratification today because the, the argument is, is that there are no guarantees about tomorrow, right? So everybody's, you know, thinking about today, but that is a terrible system um, for resilience because you, it, it doesn't actually, you know, lend towards proper use of resources. You know, I tend to think of things as a system thinker from an economic standpoint. And so, you know, by, by trading everything you know, down the road, it's exactly what we're doing with climate, right? Um, we're trading tomorrow for, uh, you know, action today, and then keep hoping that we're going to find some way to um, change the bill for, for down the road. So it, it's, a, it, I feel like it's a very natural human reaction for people to be doing this. And so this idea of creating the incentives and rewards long term become um, really, really tough to to actually get people to do. But so once you've gone through these three steps, Louise, what happens next? Well, we need to, yeah, okay. So you, you preempted me there. <laughs> We're thinking along the same lines. So we've got to identify these capabilities to do this within ourselves. We've always got to start with self-development. You know, everything in terms of human development starts with self-awareness, self-knowledge, and then self-mastery. And if you haven't got that, um, it's really tough to develop teams and organizations and systems and, you know, a, a new way of doing stuff, which clearly we need. So we've got to start there. And um, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, you know, the key thing for me is measurement. I, you know, I love age old wisdoms. I'm probably connected as most of us are to all the great thinkers. And, you know, every time somebody sends me something that gives me an aha moment or another elevated sense of realization, I'm so grateful. But I also like to measure things. You know, there is that side to things. And when you're working with helping organizations to develop, you know, we can, we can do motivation, but, it, you know, it doesn't, we leave the room. And if we're lucky in a month's time, we're left with 5% of, of what, what we learned in the room. So mm -hmm. I really like measurement tools. And um, this thing about building a culture of innovation, I think that's the smartest place to start. Because what you do is you honor the innovative, creative, ability to co-create the future everywhere in your organization. But unless you can identify it, you know, how, how can you get started? So um, just a little bit of backstory to put some meat on the bone. I work with an organization called Lumina Learning. And um, 
they were approached by the Kuwait Foundation for the Advancement of Sciences last year. And, you know, Lumina, well, you might not know them, but Lumina have an integrated suite of, of digital um, tools and modalities and what have you. It's a young company, 10 years young, but they're already in 60 countries. And they've really shifted and changed um, how we go about doing this. And uh, KFAS came to Lumen and they said, with all of this amazing stuff that you've got, can you come up with a model for innovation? Because we can't actually find one that actually makes, makes sense. So the only reason why I'm telling you that is that they actually went back to these original questions. What is, what is it to be creative? What is it to innovate? And what's the difference between the two? And I think we've been throwing these words around for so long. And we've been thinking of innovation a lot of people I know think of innovation as a gene or being creative as something that you're born with. You know, you either have the natural ability or you don't. And often, you know, that stuff is for other people who are creative. And they came, came up with a really beautiful, simple definition, which is innovation is just great ideas put into action, implemented. And the byproduct of that is the innovative product or service or the innovative um, new way forward, thinking, mindset, whatever it might be. So I just want to put that into a context. And then back to what we've been talking about now is what do leaders need to do? Where do we need to step up? So wait, and, so to, to summarize that, so ideas plus execution equals innovation? Ideas, putting it into action, implementing it, because you know there are probably many iterations of that. We know that, right? Um, we try something else. We've almost got to go back to that old spaghetti marshmallow test, you know, with the childlike prototyping, you know, keep, keep breaking stuff and, and, and trying stuff out. But, and, and the byproduct of that, if we land up with something we can take to market um, or a new uh, um, powerful system to run our businesses and work with our stakeholders, um, or we've shifted our thinking collectively in an organization, that's an innovation. So it's, it's the byproduct, it's the result of ideas, putting ideas into action, trying them out and, and keep trying until we come up with something that works. And what we're finding today as well is that we'll try something today and certainly I can guarantee this in six months time, we'll need to keep trying that thing and implementing it in different ways and innovating on what we've got already because things are changing too fast. So leadership qualities, I think this is so important, you know, We've chucked these words around for so long, and I, I think people have lost connection. Well, certainly, you know, the, what does it mean to be agile? What does it actually mean to be in creation of something? Um, what does it mean to innovate? Well, we've just discovered it's actually a byproduct of something else. And what is empathy? You know, without a doubt, we've got to connect from an empathetic perspective as leaders first before we get into anything else right now, because people are very very stressed and under extreme pressure. And, um, you know, if we're, if we're trying to measure it with productivity, we're missing, missing the point here. And what is resilience? And um, I want to look at a couple of these, but I want to look first of all at the mental health shock that we've all experienced. It re really needs acknowledgement. And since the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, this is a company called Qualtrics, and these figures were at the end of March, early April. So I'm sure across a bunch of countries. So I'm sure by now the figures would have adjusted slightly. And unfortunately, I think they may have adjusted up. Um, but 41.6% of employees reported a decline in their mental health. 
And the top five were anxiety, stress, worrying about losing their jobs, being less busy, and all of the stresses and strains and challenges that actually come with working from home. I so can't imagine just, that that's not 99.9 .9 by the time you get to the end of April. Well, yeah, we, so, so the predictions are looking at around 50% decline in mental health. And, um, you know, and along with it, we've got companies that are still sort of focused very much on productivity. And I know that we need to keep our businesses afloat. Otherwise, we can't pay people and we can't keep their lives afloat and all of our stakeholders. But at the same time, how we go about doing that, um, we need to shift how we connect with people around that. Um, otherwise, we're going to land up with a whole bunch of people who can't work. You know, last year in May, the, the World Health Organization finally acknowledged burnout as a thing. And, you know, there was, a there was a massive celebration, certainly in my world. Okay, fine. Finally, we've got some acknowledgement that burnout is an actual thing. So I wanted to give you those mental health figures to set the stage of where we are today and, and ask, the ask the big question, well, how capable are we of being creative and agile and empathetic and innovative right now? Well, probably not as great as we were six months ago. And the interesting thing, sorry, I keep hitting the wrong corner of my screen there, but I, I wanted to explore this a little bit because there is, I, I work a lot with neuroscience because it gives us the why we behave certain ways. And I think sometimes, for, certainly for someone like me and a lot of my clients, you know, we need to know the why. Okay, it's brilliant that I'm doing this thing, but why am I doing it? You know, what's going on in my head? And um, the interesting thing about the ideal neurochemical cocktail for our best creative work, um, no surprises, we've got our old friend serotonin and um, dopamine playing massive parts. And just to go back a step, high, when we have high serotonin, we're calm, calm and contented. When it's low, we're anxious and fearful. So right now, looking at those mental health figures, a lot of people are pretty anxious and fearful. So it means our serotonin has taken a dip. High dopamine means that we're excited and uh, engaged. And low dopamine means that we're bored or apathetic. And we, you know, there are some people who are, have gone into productivity mode. And there are other people who are lying on the sofa watching Netflix and eating um, hug and dance, which I was guilty of myself for a couple of days, you know, just thinking, well, well I think it's know. good to have a balance, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, a little bit of that is good. But I mean, I, I can even say this week, I, I've been very up and down, like one day I wake up and I'm like, totally depressed. And then the next day, I, I'm finding that exercise is making a massive difference. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a huge part of resilience. You know, that, that. um, taking good care of it because of the, what it does to our brain chemistry. So, you know, we're actually setting ourselves up for, for the ability to be resilient. So no surprises. I mean, this is from a fantastic study from um, Professor Baba Shiv at Stanford um, using neuroscience to boost your creativity. And no surprises here, high serotonin, high dopamine means we're calm and energized and it's, we can do our best creative work. And if you think about what we need right now, Stan, it is without a doubt, the ability to, to create our way forward. You know, we've got to sense and feel our way forward. Um, there is no roadmap for this. There's no, you know, business school um, case study or, or course we can take right now that says, do this, do the next thing, and you're going to be fine. We don't have that anymore. So we need to be in the best possible 
neurochemical state to be able to create, co-create our way forward. And the next ideal neurochemical cocktail we need um, is all around empathy. And empathy is pretty interesting. You know, empathy says, I get you. I get where you're coming from. I get why you might feel the way that you feel. I, I get why you're doing what you're doing or behaving the way that you're behaving. Um, and it's a real deep listening without judgment. That's the key. The empathy is a real deep getting of, of the other without judgment. Uh, the brilliant thing about empathy is we don't have to agree with somebody. So it's not, you know, we don't have to agree. But empathy gives us probably what everybody needs, and that's both parties, a hit of dopamine, sorry, a hit of um, serotonin. And this comes from Judith Glazer's um, Conversational Intelligence. If you haven't read the book or you're interested in the stuff, um, go and grab that book. It's just full of amazing, amazing insight into what's going on our, on our brains. Brilliant for leaders. And then, of course, the other side of that is the blame game. That is so, so interesting. Yeah, this is so. You know, I, I, last year I ran a leadership workshop for um, three days. And we spent an entire day on looking at um, how we're all addicted to being right and making wrong and looking at, you know, what that's all about. And it, it was, we were all forever changed, including me, <laughs> going through that. So when we blame others, we actually get a hit of dopamine. And right now, if you think about it, we're blaming God, the Chinese, um, Trump, uh, Boris Johnson, um, communities. I mean, I can certainly think in, in, I'm, I'm in Johannesburg at the moment. I can That's... think of <laughs> a whole bunch of people to blame, right? So, so we're blaming medicine and science and systems and, you know, and it feels good. I mean, we're getting this hit of dopamine when we, in our righteous anger, you know, blame the other, which is why it's so incredibly addictive. But, you know, when we actually blame somebody else for something and we make them wrong, they, of course, are going to fight to get their hit of dopamine back. They don't like to feel bad. So, so we have massive conflict. And I don't so know about you, is, but... I mean, this is amazingly interesting. So then, Louise, then the, the, what would be an example of a way to engage on the serotonin level? You know, when you do, it's easy to say, like, oh, you know, empathy, you need to do empathy. But what's, in a, what's a hard example of when something's going wrong and you feel like there's somebody to blame for that going wrong, right? Uh, how, do you, how do you switch that to become a kind of serotonin receptor versus a dopamine receptor? Because yeah, at the end of the day, it's still going wrong and it needs to get fixed. Yeah, and you, we've got to train our brains, right? So um, the only way that we do this is with self-knowledge. And the only way that we do that is to actually build in some triggers. So when I'm coaching leaders, we build in a whole bunch of things where we get to see or hear or feel, depending on how we, we, we like to absorb information, um, triggers that we start recognizing where we are in that thing. The most extraordinary thing is that once we have an awareness of something, it's like a window in the mind. You know, you might shut it and shut the light out, but you know the window is there. Once you know the window is there, the window is there. <laughs> so, so it's the initial creating the self-knowledge, creating a deep awareness of who we are. And we've got some tools to do that, which is lovely. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about those in a second. I don't want to spend too much time on them. But um, one of the, so I'll just give you an example there. So we tried this uh, on Emerald City, right? We tried to get into this call on, on Emerald City. Yeah. 
into the session. So what we could do is, you know, and, and we had, I had some technical problems getting on. So I could blame the platform. I could blame the developer. I could blame the messenger in between. I, you know, a whole bunch of things that, that I could be very righteously angry about, right? So instead of doing that, the, the only way to sh shift into empathy is with curiosity. It's the only way. We've got to wear a hat of, of deep curiosity. Oh, I wonder what went wrong. Oh, I wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Oh, I wonder if the developer has thought of blah, blah, blah. I wonder if there's some inbuilt bias in the system. Perhaps they don't like people sitting in Africa. You know? <laughs> I mean, all of these curious questions were going on in my mind because I've trained my brain over time because I became aware of this, you know, many years ago, that yeah. the only way to deal with anybody else's stuff is to get really curious. So, you know, when I work with clients, you know, I'll, we'll just work with curiosity for a week or two. And, you know, it's like a deep, okay, so what did you learn? It's an extraordinary thing is if we're curious and we learn to listen really deeply, we learn so much. Well, I think this we, is particularly true in technology, Louise, because we're constantly dealing in technology and many of us, you know, if we're building a business today, there's some element of technology that's being built into it. And so there is this concept of edge use cases where, I mean, exactly, you know, using Emerald City as an example, where we're having very rapid innovation in that place. It's, it's literally changing day by day. And, you know, you have a group of people for it's working fine. And then there's somebody else who it's not working fine. And so there, there just becomes this big question mark about, well, why is it working for you, but not working for me? Or why is it working for them, but not working for them? And that, I think it's really interesting for what you're talking about here, because this is a challenge that I think we're all facing in business right now. Um, how, do we, how do we get to where we want to go and you know, succeed? At the same time, when either you or your team is having challenges or obstacles to that, or even failures. And this idea of, of moving the, the blame game, the dopamine game to the serotonin game is super interesting to me because I, 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 I feel very personally attached to that right now where you're, you're constantly coming up with situations that as a leader, you, you're not sure what the answer is. And, you know, curiosity, you know, if, if you're saying curiosity is the pathway to serotonin um, and, and, and empathy, and then that results in calm and contented teams, I think that's a super important insight. Yeah, and, and you know, we want teams to still take action, to be energized by what's going on. So we're not robbing ourselves of the dopamine, not at all. We're just not constantly looking for a dopamine hit. And, and if you get onto social and digital media right now, or when Trump was elected, or when Brexit was going on, you know, people who previously quite liked each other at each other's thro throats and defriending each other because they were so busy making the other wrong because yeah, like Twitter is a kind of dopamine hit, right? <laughs> yeah, well, so, so my big question is, gosh, if I'm making that person wrong, I clearly need a hit of dopamine. Where am I going to go and find that? Exercise, diet, do some yoga, go to a dance class, dance it off. <laughs> you know, so we all have our favorite ways of, of getting that dopamine. Go and find a better way of doing it. I know if I get into blame mode, I need a hit of dopamine and there's a healthier way to go and get it because I'm going to damage something en route. And, you know, one of the big things around um, conscious leadership and business is that every single stakeholder matters. 
And you're going to come across these people, you know, you might step over them today, but you're going to come across them five days down the line and they're going to be sitting between you and the contract you want. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that ability to never cause harm and to leave everybody at least as well off as how you found them. Um, yeah. So don't cause any damage. Don't cause harm. Whatever you do and leave people at least as well off as you found them, if not better, ideally better. But if, yeah. that's, if that's the consciousness that you are holding on to, which we're all fully capable, if we're awake, you know, if we're not awake, we just blunder through and step all over. Every, well, I'm sorry, in this world of work and the future that we're going into, it doesn't wash. Yeah, that's why not would work I choose anymore. to do anything with you if you I was left feeling worse off? Yeah, yeah you're not going to be able to bulldoze your way through just based on your position or your power or your market position. And look how meaningless your power is today. The most powerful are equally as vulnerable. You know, we are all in the same boat. You know, we're, definitely, you know, we're in, the same, we're in the same storm as everybody keeps saying, but it's certainly not equitable. And mm -hmm. one person's power today is, it always has been meaningless, actually. You know, um, I think we just haven't necessarily honored that. Um, but certainly, you know, if I've had a, if I've had a contact with somebody in the past to use their power, um, and, and really, you know, there's power and there's leadership, raw power, I wouldn't personally follow. And the definition of leadership really is, is not, you know, what you're doing. It's why I would follow you. Why would I choose to follow you? And our world of work is so different today. Um, you know, Anyway, there are about 20 topics well, in there. I think that's a whole nother conversation about like soft power. And I think you just said something very interesting now, like, you know, the, the 20th century was about commanding power. And, you know, the 21st century seems to be about followers. So how do you like engage and entice followers? And they're two very different um, styles of leadership. Um, so hopefully we can get into that. Before we wrap up here, can we talk a little bit about emotional resilience? Yeah, absolutely. So, so all of this has led up to, and I just wanted to give you context, because I think just throwing things at people without a context, what's the point, right? So, you know, this is where we are today. This is how we might be feeling. Um, as you mentioned, up one day, down the next, yeah, I'm fine for a few days, and then suddenly I, I hit a dip. You know, it's like, wow, where did that come from? Um, emotional resilience, you know, we've been talking about resilience for so long, none of these words are new, but I think our, the deepening of our understanding and connection to this is happening right now as we speak. And resilience, so we have lots of resilience. We have, you know, resilience in our systems, we have resilience in technology, we have resilience in our supply chains. Well, a lot of that's fallen apart right now. Um, but just for the purpose of today, we, we're talking about people. So it's our ability to adapt to stressful situations or crises. And of course, that mental health slide, you know, just looking at those percentages right now tells us, um, you know, perhaps we're not doing so well at that in general, collectively at the moment. The ability to roll with punches, to adapt to adversity without lasting difficulties. Um, and if you have low emotional res resilience, you will have a harder time with stress and life changes, both major and minor. And I think arguably right now, we are, this is a, a major life change for every single person on this planet. And if people haven't felt their effect today, they will be. 
over the coming months and years. And, you know, I've done a lot of work around this over the last couple of weeks because this is, this is what I've been helping leaders with and their teams. And I came across just the sweetest, um, purest, sweetest little definition the other day, which was resilience is the ability to accept a situation without resentment. And I don't know whether that's hitting any chords for you, but it, it lit, up, lit me up <laughs> like a Christmas tree. So it is what it is. And I'm not, you know, I'm not looking for my head of dopamine or I'm looking to blame because resentment only comes with blame. You know, we first we blame and then we resent the other person. And the only person who's harmed is me. I'm mm. the only person who suffers if I'm resentful of anything. Yeah. So it is what it is. I am where I am. What will come will come. What will be will be. And I'm not attached in any way, shape or form to being, doing, saying, smelling, acting, any way different to what it is. And it's the simplest definition, perhaps the easiest thing to do if you're in fairly enlightened. <laughs> Very. That's, I think, why I like it. <laughs> well, enlightened business, conscious business. I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, we all want to get to a better mental state. Um, Louise, thank you so much for giving us this, this wonderful tour of the, the work that you're doing with leaders and these fascinating insights into how to be a better leader and these insights into how to be resilient in the face of change. Um, where can our listeners or audience find out more about the work that you're doing or uh, find out how to get in touch with you directly, maybe for a one-on-one -on -one session? Sure, Stan. I, I, my website's probably the best place to start. So it's mowbraybydesign.com and um, lots of links to get in contact. I think you'll find a lot of um, insight and information on the blog page and interviews with people like you, my podcast and, and various other conversations on camera and things like that. So yeah, please feel free to reach out and get in touch. Um, yeah, I'd be delighted to, to talk to you. Well, thank you again for sharing all of this. I think we have to have you back on again soon to talk about um, new forms of power because I really think that um, there's a, a deep rabbit hole we could go down there. Thank you so much for joining us uh, with the Hub Culture Emerald City Chronicles, a series of conversations with leaders focusing on deep issues of tomorrow. So thank you again, Louise. We will see you again soon. Thank you, Stan.